When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. All right, y'all. It's an all-new Keep It. We're tuning in. I'm Ira Madison III. We're live. Are you like a... Were you somebody who tried out for Do the Right Thing? Yeah, and grand, then you grandmaster were, and Spike Ira. Lee was like, please don't ruin my career. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Louis Fertel. I'm Aida Osman. I'm the sixth blood. Oh. Oh, God. Have yeah. we even talked about that movie? I did see it. Uh, Delroy Lindo. Very good. Entertaining. I like. I, I didn't know it was going to become like an adventure movie. Nobody, like the reviews did not lead me to that. So that was exciting. Yeah. I will go anywhere that Jonathan Majors is present without a shirt. That's mm-hmm. just my one criteria for films now. Listen, I would have finished Lovecraft Country. If that were the case, (laughs) 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 we'll talk about the five bloods later because we're talking about the globes this week. Mm-hmm. You know? My favorite institution. I don't know if you've heard about them, but you can trust them for anything. <laughs> uh, integrity, um, golden things, and alcohol. So Lewis is actually recording this podcast from the yacht that he was just gifted <laughs> by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. <laughs> we know, Lewis. As the executive we producer know. of Sia's Music, I am now a proud <laughs> boat owner. <laughs> okay, but then they did have an autistic person working on the movie, so <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That was was good. She had a good one. Halfway into it, I was like, stop it. Stop. And here we are. (laughs) It's love. It's love. I actually forgot that the Globes were this Sunday. And Lewis and I are fully going on NPR this week to talk about the Globes. And in my mind... (laughs) What are you going to talk about? Well, in my mind, I did not even think, oh, we're having this convo about the Globes because they're this week. Oh, right. They're just a vague idea I'm just like, they're there. Somewhere. Mm -hmm. Damn. Yeah, I'm having the realization as we're talking about it, too. I thought we were talking about it because of the scandal, but uh, it's a coming this weekend. (laughs) It really is. I feel bad, or I don't know if I feel bad. I'm excited, I guess, for the writing staff who now has to write 10 to 15 jokes about everybody being paid off. Though, I guess if you write for the Golden Globes, you're already writing those jokes because their whole thing is they're in on it or whatever. Right. We'll get into all of that. Um, But it, Mm -hmm. it is sort of weird how they are a very corrupt institution that just acknowledges that they're corrupt. Yeah. It's like the judging on whose line is it anyway. The points don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get this episode started, I do want to point out that I, Ira Madison III, host of The View, do not know when or where (laughs) I can get vascinated. (laughs) (laughs) And it upsets me. It's not looking good. Meghan McCain has now reached that echelon of people who... When they're trending, like Twitter needs to be rebooted, you know, appears Morgan, uh, Azealia Banks. <laughs> just like, it's like, why? H- how is this happening? It was a week and a half ago she was last on my feed because she sniveled the words my father as somebody else made a wonderful point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I might be with her. I too am over Dr. Fauci. Don't need to be seeing him every day. I'm tired of that man. 
I'm tired of You're it. You're tired oh, of Dr. Really? Fauci? Yeah, and all the hard work that he's doing. Yeah, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just wonder, you know, this man has been around for so many infectious diseases and outbreaks. When are we going to start asking if he is the problem? Right. Dr. Fauci, a patriot dish of a man. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, maybe he, maybe he was out there creating AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> In the field. <laughs> Maybe he came up with SARS. You think he's just behind some test tube sprinkling things in and cackling and stuff? Yeah, he's like... It's the intro sequence to Powerpuff Girls, <laughs> but it's Dr. Fauci and he's creating mass illness. I was going to call him Dr. Blight from Captain Planet. Oh, I love Dr. Blight. She was the one with the hair over her eye. Women with yeah. hair over one eye. There's not that many of them in popular culture. Veronica Lake, Dr. Blight, that might be it. I also think Meg Ryan could play Dr. Fauci. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Mm. Remember how celebrities voiced uh, people on Captain Planet, including Neil Patrick Harris, star oh. of uh, uh, It's a Sin, who we're going to mm. talk about, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about It's a Sin this week, um, which does reveal that Dr. Fauci was behind AIDS. Oh, he's the villain. He's the villain in the finale. So, I see. yeah, yeah. Just a theory, but I love, I love this pseudo history. You know, yeah, suggestive history, as it were. Right. If you squint, he's actually at the bar at all the gay clubs in every scene. He's there. He's dancing <laughs> with them. He's cueing the laser beams. He's actually the uh, main character in Perestroika. So. Oh, right. <laughs> he and Roy Cohn just sort of, uh, winking at each other. Um, we are going to talk about It's a Sin this week. We're also going to talk about the hottest movie to hit Netflix in quite some time. I care a lot. Which, by the way, I was set up to like. I was, I was all ready to be into this movie. And then the movie had other plans. I mean, it's Rosamund Pike in a bob. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought that we, you know, made an agreement here, Netflix, <laughs> that this is supposed to be good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then, of course, the Golden Globes are embroiled in scandal, mm-hmm. as usual. Um, but this is more scandalous than normal. Yes. Emily in peril, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be joined by the very fantastic Roxanne Gay to talk about her new masterclass, but also to talk about reality TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because Ira was involved. And also they too, they share that. So let them We love ourselves some Bravo. Also, if you know Roxanne Gay from one type of writing, you can check out any other type of writing. And she has done that too. Truly. Truly. I'm like, girl, when is the poetry slam? Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) It almost feels like a betrayal when people know how to write in more than one way. Like I can only do a joke that ends in like 140 characters. I don't, you don't want to see me go into a paragraph space. Meanwhile, she can do it all. Well, we'll talk to her about doing it all and having it all. As I believe women can do. <laughs> Very risky of you. I don't know. You're going to get a lot of ideas in people's heads. She is Sarah Jessica Parker, and I don't know how she does it. <laughs> One of the great movie posters, I will have to say. Is, isn't she sort of like, I don't know either. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. All right, so it turns out that there was a death this week that we have to talk about, huh? as usual. Only this time, it is... We have to. It is the death of Daft Punk. Uh. Oh. I, I thought for a moment 
we were going to have a Rush Limbaugh conversation that I didn't know was going to happen. <laughs> I don't care about <laughs> I that, really nigga. I thought you were setting it up <laughs> to mourn uh, Rush. Actually, R.I.P. Rush. He was an inspiration. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, somebody was going to brainwash my aunt. It may as well be that bastard. <laughs> uh, no, I meant that uh, my little French electronic duo, Daft Punk, is no more. That was very sad news. Yeah. Even though it's not like, you know, they've been doing much since the Tron soundtrack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Though they were also the living embodiment of the Tron soundtrack. So you mm-hmm. still wanted them around. They kind of were like... Um, the even cooler version of someone like Moby, which is to say you always were hearing their music, always in a commercial of some kind. Mm-hmm. And then they themselves had a sort of mysterious presence. And uh, for example, when they won the Grammy for Album of the Year, that was like the perfect confluence of things the Grammys want to be, which is cool, but then also you would definitely hear Get Lucky at a Wedding. So nobody mm-hmm. felt alienated by the coolness. Right, and also... They've been around for so long, it almost feels like you're awarding a legacy artist. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I, you know, was listening to Defunk off of Homework back in high school. Defunk was, that's the one that was remixed with, I think, Like a Prayer at some point, which mm. for some reason I heard constantly growing up. Maybe it's because I downloaded it and liked it. <laughs> off Kazaa? <laughs> yeah, Kazaa Kaza for sure. It is. I can picture the font on the Kazaa I downloaded. Yes. <laughs> I feel like a lot of my relationship with Daft Punk has been learning about them after they came into maybe my pop culture awareness after Kanye West brought them Mm -hmm. to the forefront. So I thought Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger was a Kanye West song. And then going back and discovering all these albums of some of the dopest music I'd ever heard. Like Mm -hmm. I, I also remember after they won the Grammy in 2013, I... I just went back and I haven't been able to stop listening to their albums as if it's not new music. <laughs> like, mm. I consume Daft Punk every day. Game of Love, <laughs> my favorite track. I think because it was awarded, you know, and like Get Lucky was everywhere, right? And it was mm-hmm. also sort of that era where Pharrell even became like the old guard, yeah. mm-hmm. which makes sense because he looks like <laughs> a character from the old guard. That man is 10,000 years old. Um, <laughs> But Random Access Memories is such a really good album, you know? And the Tron soundtrack is amazing, too. And I will admit, um, I have not seen either Tron, which is which is weird for my brand, but maybe yeah. it's not. I, no, I would say it's not, actually. There, it's the kind of thing where the feel of the movie is classic and specific, but I don't know that people are utterly obsessed with the content of either movie, especially now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about even the legacy of Jeff Bridges, I mean, I would go through 10 <laughs> other movies before you got to that. <laughs> but um, also about Random Access Memories, I know what my specific Grammy memory about that is, is Taylor Swift almost getting out of her chair when they start to say red, and she thinks they're about to say <laughs> red. Oh, red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they was got me one. again. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, you would pick up a second one. I'm thinking how pivotal watching the One More Time music video was and all of the, mm-hmm. and the graphics and the animation and thinking, oh, God. The, between Daft Punk and the Gorillas, my favorite music videos to have ever existed. I always think that the Gorillas are French, too, uh, just because the first time I discovered the Gorillas, it was on my, Is that well, it was on my uh, <laughs> freshman year of high school trip to Paris. And I heard them in a music mm. store and saw their mm-hmm. video there on like um, French MTV in the hotel. So like I became obsessed with them there. And in my mind, I always think they're French because I, I, I love a French music group, you know? Mm. 
I love Air. Okay. Yes, true. Yeah. We don't talk about them as much anymore. Air is very like what would be number three on a Pitchfork year-end list from 2001 or something. (laughs) I know them from lists. Uh, Giving you sexy lounge music. Yes, quite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is wild because that is what um, Daft Punk descended into. Um, They started out very much like, we're giving you futuristic music. And it's like... um, They've influenced so much of like, you know, like the electronic game since then. Their albums descended into nostalgia for the era and influences that they had. Random Access Memories has that, that song with Giorgio Moroder. Ooh. The King, you know. Uh, and then w- it's weird to think about them in the context of nostalgia because I was already getting that nostalgia last year because um, it's from one of my favorite scenes in I May Destroy You. When um, mm. Arabella's sitting on the beach um, with her Italian lover, and there's something about us plays. So it was already clicking mm. like a nostalgia twinge in my brain. And I think now that they're gone, um, that music will start to reflect that way, interestingly enough. Also, them breaking up was a necessary step in a reunion album. So let's just get to where we need to be for the next project to come no. out. Yeah, you're right. It does feel it does feel like when people break up maybe earlier than you'd think they would, it mm-hmm. is because later there will be a joyous revival of some kind. This is a Pollyanna optimism on my part. <laughs> this is also me speaking out to REM. Get it together and come back. Yeah. <laughs> some people are very of the mind that like they n- never want it to be like a museum piece. So maybe they won't yeah. come back. But mm-hmm. we'll see. It, anything maybe they could come now. back, do like a speaker box, love below type collab album. Mm. Give us, give us two yeah. separate understandings of their music and see how it can coalesce. But Ooh. I don't know. I don't you know. know. We'll see. Speaker 28 bo- years is a long time. Yeah, that is true. You know who is a huge part of Random Excess Memories, by the way, that I always forget about? Paul Williams, who wrote like, mm. um, uh, We've Only Just Begun, like Carpenter songs. And like the yeah. fact that they could roll him into this album like really spoke to their like musical literacy too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. look up Paul Williams. The Carpenters did a... Uh, Sorry to bring this back to the Carpenters. Uh, I know. I, I, I know you're always find a way. Yeah. So um, they they did a medley of Paul Williams's songs on the Carol Burnett show with Carol Burnett once. Look that up. That's a great medley. Mm-hmm. And one of the best songs that Julian Casablancas has ever sang on that album. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. He wrote Rainbow Connection too, Muppet Show. Yeah, or the Muppet Movie. Aww, that's so cute. It's a great song. Right. Lost the Oscar to uh, It Goes Like It Goes from Norma Ray, which I would argue is a better song. You can fight me on Twitter about that one. I'm, I'm a veil. <laughs> Glad to miss that. <laughs> <laughs> um, in other sad news, I did watch the new Netflix film, I Care A Lot, starring Rosamund Pike <laughs> this weekend. They're and there. So that's what I want to know is should I care a lot? Should I now go watch this movie? Baby, this movie, it is wild. It has actually been quite a long time since I've seen a movie that like I just was so angry at in the midst of watching it. And the whole time, too. I would yeah. say there's not a part where I'm like, oh, I'm in for right now. Except for <laughs> when Diane Weist um, totally. threatens <laughs> Rosamund Pike. Because, by the way, Diane Weist in, in pissed off mode underrated i found her quite commanding and also we never get two diane weiss movies in a year and now we have this and let them all talk look at Mm -hmm. i mean the last thing she did was that goddamn movie the mule (laughs) where she had to deal with you know that scarecrow clint eastwood Um, (laughs) 
Um, she's also one of the best parts of Let Them All Talk. Oh, yeah. Very funny. Very funny. Yeah. Candace, very funny, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so definitely, if you want to skim for the parts where Diane is salty, great. However, it is really brutal to get into the movie because it's about a woman who takes advantage of older people and basically forces them to live in elder care facilities where and then she then takes all of their stuff and money and then she has a run-in with the mob because diane has connections to the mob and i would say both sides of this equation rosamund pike the scammer and peter dinklage the mob person are cliches of cliches and mm-hmm. mixing them up is not enter- entertaining. So, uh, so like not fun to watch either of them. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage's character really descends into like wacky mob cliche. You know, it's yeah. like mm-hmm. I, we've already got smoke and aces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you just brought me back to when I was an RA and an honors floor, and I was like, I'll put on any movie you want for the fucking movie night. And these losers chose smoke and aces. I am still mad. <laughs> like to haunt you. Yeah, no, With they were real like that, earnest interest. They're, they're like, Lewis, we love it. You, you got to put on smoking aces. And I was like, that I guess was... I believe you. What? <laughs> Meanwhile, at that time, I was like, can we watch Vera Drake? Like, I had other ideas. <laughs> I would give anything. I would give anything to watch you have to deal with a bunch of college boys. Anything. Uh, they were all named Justin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Smoking Aces and the Boondock Saints were a certain yep. kind of movie that um, straight white college boys were always throwing on. Totally. They were like way too violent and way too vulgar. But that's it. That's what they liked. There's 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 no upside to it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I was the only one over here standing. Lucky number eleven. Oh, are you my brother, Mark? He loves that movie too. Is that Josh Hartnett? <laughs> it is. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> he always has my heart, Nat. Okay. <laughs> Whenever I leave a workout class, I am embarrassed for being Irish and Polish. I'm the sweatiest person in the room. But when I'm leaving the room, I try to move my hair into place like I did it on purpose. And it's always going for a Josh Hartnett late 90s photo shoot look. Mm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that whenever you're in a workout class, you're thinking of the Josh Hartnett Harrison Ford scene in Hollywood Homicide where they're in yoga <laughs> together. I have not seen that movie and you have inspired me. So. <laughs> Um, I mean, that reminds us of a random moment that does not even make our um, Roxanne interview, but she talks about watching the movie Paycheck. And I'm like, that is from that era of (laughs) movies that came out when Lewis and I were specifically in high school. And I think we've talked about this before, where you would, because you were in high school and in the Midwest, you would see any movie every weekend, because what else are you going to do? So it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is out. Oh, it Roger Ebert gave it one star. Guess I'm still seeing it. Right. No, nothing could dissuade me. It could be February, like just the worst time of the year. I still, the worst movie that people fucking love, we'll move on from this conversation, I'm sorry, is Rat Race. That movie fucking sucks. I'm so mad that people love that <laughs> We've movie. We've argued about Rat Race yes. before. I it's think still I fresh like on it. my mind. Yeah. Uh, I don't think on the show. I think just in person. <laughs> I think it also supports my theory that queer people like to sit in dark rooms, regardless of what's happening in front of them. <laughs> right. So you're constantly finding a theater, a light room, just anything that is dark. <laughs> um, I will point out that, yes, it's interesting to have a character like Rosamund Pike, who is, you know, sort of like morally questionable. I love villainous female characters, but right. this mm-hmm. character, like, goes beyond villainous to. There's no nuance, you know? It's almost like a wannabe um, Nurse Ratchet kind of character, but there was something so chilling about not really knowing Nurse Ratchet's um, 
origins in the film, and also she wasn't the main character, right? And you know mm-hmm. she's evil, and you're not asked to sympathize with her unless you're watching Ratchet. Um, <laughs> but this, I'm just like, am I supposed to care about her because she's like, um, I don't know, licking this other character's box? Like, you find out she's a yeah. lesbian, and it's like, is is that the rootable thing about her. They were like, we need to make her redeemable. Uh, make her eat pussy. <laughs> that's, <all. laughs> that's what happened. Okay. Good instinct. It's a but classic move. It's a classic yeah. move. Yeah. No, but you're right. Like, because Rosamond does the evil things with such a straight face, that's supposed to mm-hmm. count as interesting character nuance. But all it is is she's horrible. That's yeah. it. Okay, yeah. And not even in the way that, like, Amy is horrible um, but in an interesting way in Gone Girl. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, at least at the beginning of that movie, you think one thing about her, and even if you have suspicions, what she turns mm-hmm. into is not what you expect. Yeah. This is, you don't learn anything about her, basically. And when she does talk about her upbringing at the end, it's like, this is lazy. Yeah. Well, it's written by someone named Jay Blakeson, who is just a, a old English man. So <laughs> I don't know what, what we expected for, you know, these complicated female characters. Uh, but what's interesting is, if it were a man, there would be it would be so cliched. There would be so nothing to this person. You would wonder mm-hmm. why there was even a movie about it. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to add that Rosamund Pike and the roles she's playing, it's sort of like we're treating her like leftover Jessica Chastain in that mm. we give her smart lady roles, like she's played Marie Curie, like like very uh, like progressive mm-hmm. women, and then also slyly evil women. Uh, and I feel like Jessica Chastain kind of does both those things. But by the way, I definitely prefer Rosamund Pike. I mean, Rosamund well, yeah. Pike has has a, a kind of, I don't want to say gravitas, but I do want to say weird intensity that is genuine. I would say it's interesting that you brought up Jessica Chastain because for Rosamund, um, I feel like um, a film like Crimson Peak is definitely her, a sweet spot for her that I would love to see her in. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, we need more... Um, action stuff for uh, Rosamund. That'd be great. This weekend, I also got into um, It's a Sin on HBO Max, the British series, um, which finally hit America. It's from Russell Davies, the creator of Queer as Folk. Um, Mm. I want to point out that I'm an idiot because in my brain, I kept delaying watching it because I kept thinking, oh my God, this is from the creator of Queer as Folk, thinking the creator of the American Queer as Folk. Ah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck am I about to be watching? (laughs) But no, British Queer as Folk, which was quaint and and good. Um, And It's a Sin was... um, it's a really fun show that I will recommend. It's 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 weird to call a uh, show that is about the AIDS epidemic um, <laughs> with um, some like eighteen year olds in London um, and how they progressed through the eighties and into the nineties. But um, I think the overall thesis of this show, and that's a hit in the finale of it too. It's only five episodes. It's just that um, we always get these stories about people who've lost their lives from AIDS, um, but what people really want you to remember from that era is just like how fun life was for gay people back then before this happened. Mm-hmm. I, I Some of the show reminded me a little bit of uh, sex education in the way where sexual discovery is treated as kind of um, a, a quaintly fun mm-hmm. thing. You know, there's a wholesomeness to the discovery, even though you associate this era with 
growing up too quickly and, you know, mm -hmm. morbidity, et cetera. There's, I mean, this show just makes you want to grab all your queer friends and hold them and hug them and kiss them. And mm -hmm. you remember that very specific moment. There's um, an actor in it. He plays Colin. His name is Callum Scott Howells. He's the Welsh one who works in the, you know, the, the tweed shop. He and is so fucking so good. Fucking good. And so good. So cute and i had to look on instagram and like ask a friend like is he gay and then i realized oh wait the gay actors in this show are gay they're being played by gay people um, exactly. so that that was like i don't know why that was a shock to me in 2021 but <laughs> but still it's like give him nobel prize yeah yeah <laughs> you're traumatized okay you're traumatized <laughs> for the past 20 years but he there's a scene where he is finally at the, the house that this like queer home that they've all created and you see the wonder in his eye of seeing all this community and love mm. and it just reminded me of those feelings of the first time that I saw queerness represented right in front of me and it's beautiful mm -hmm. it's nostalgic oh definitely a beautiful montage yeah where you see him like going from party to party on um, taking in you know like um what everyone else has sort of discovered um and there's you know a moment like midway through where you learn, you know, like his sort of queer origins. Um, it is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's so sweet and a really beautiful watch. I would say the best part of it is the acting and the direction. The script is a little there, but. Um. Okay, Lydia West, this girl who plays Jill. Just, I need her. I need her. I need her to be cast in every single movie. Yes. I love this girl. Tessa Thompson, scoot over. I'm sorry, there can only be one light skinned, <laughs> curly haired woman, but at least she's the British one. It makes me want to go watch Years and Years, which I didn't want to watch just because people kept saying, oh, it's so like depressing and for the Trump era, you know? And I was like, I'm not trying to do this right now. But I feel like now, <laughs> you know, that we're in. Um, Biden's America. Um, what else am I going to do while I'm waiting for my check? Right. It's truly. What did you think of this uh, show as a Neil Patrick Harris renaissance? <sighs> no. You know, <laughs> I like I and I, I like I like Neil actually. Mm -hmm. I love I love no, his acting talented. actually. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Same. This was a bit too over Much. the top it was a bit for me too much. he was a character from the ryan murphy version of it's a sin let's put mm. it that mm -hmm. way uh, mm -hmm. and everyone else is in a different show yeah he plays it foppish which that's what the character is um but it does run slightly into and i know this is something neil is probably obsessed with murder mystery acting yeah you know, they, you know <laughs> from the dressing right. to the posture <laughs> to the you know the camp mm. of it um, and it, not that people like that don't exist, but of course, um, it was Nancy Reagan with the AIDS in the parlor. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, all this to say, though, I was so refreshed to see the AIDS crisis happening in London and their mm. view of people in America. Like there were the scenes where they're just like, "Well, just don't have sex with the boys in New York, and you'll be yes. fine." That was like, not a British accent, but that stuff was hilarious to me. Yeah. That was like genuine fears that they had, and they were totally yeah. justified because nobody knew what the fuck was going on with AIDS. No, right. I uh, <laughs> in a Fran Lebowitz interview recently, she talked about how people thought you got AIDS from poppers, which people ingested in all sorts mm -hmm. of strange ways back then. If you don't know poppers, I'll explain them very quickly. Amyl nitrates, they're like these sniffable things. <laughs> Enhanced sex, specifically if you're gay, but anybody can Lewis, is invited the to poppers. Gay. Yeah. yeah, right. And, uh, and like used as like a party drug, a party inhalant. It's like gay with yeah. us. Yeah, gay whippets. Um, <laughs> and people would put them on bandanas and like put mm -hmm. them in their mouth and inhale them that way too, which mm -hmm. is very extreme. But yeah. <laughs> um, I've been sort of in the mix of like this 80s, like 
gateness. I was reading Lanford Wilson's Burnness earlier. Mm. Yeah, it's just mm. it's just nice to see sort of like a fun, different adaptation of what was going on in that period. And I do want to point out, we talked about Callum uh, and Lydia, but um, I know uh, Ollie Alexander personally from years and years. Um, and you lucky son of a bitch. I was like, <laughs> but I, but I did not know that he had this in him. I was right. Great performance. I was floored. He is amazing in this yeah. show, like truly amazing. Um, and I really think the d- directing and um, acting elevate the material. Um, and because the story itself can sometimes be a little, you know, like quaint and trite, but you keep being brought back to the emotion by everyone else involved, and it is. I really recommend this show, you know? Yeah. And quick uh, quick nod to Omari Douglas, who plays what I'm believing is a West African character who leaves his home. Yes, yes. I mean, sometimes I get frustrated with those storylines that are like, oh, the black one is from the right. African household where they have to strike the gay out of him. Like, I get mm. frustrated by those, but um, right for that experience is pretty real. So yeah. I have no choice. And the stuff with his father um, ends up actually being like something that yeah. broke me. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, me, me as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's nice to see this um, embracing sort of this new era we've seen of queer storytelling um, where, you know, sort of like um, HIV positive people um, are telling their own very interesting stories. Uh, and I would yeah. say one complaint is, um, I guess it is London, but, you know, it's like a lot of white people is, again, and like less women mm-hmm. um, than you would expect. Um, and there's always that one saintly woman character who helps all mm-hmm. the gays, which, exactly. yes, is true. The Sharon Glass. Also like, yeah, right. Or, or the, the Aida. Yeah. She's less. <laughs> I've <laughs> always been the little hag. She's less three dimensional than you'd expect because she has to be sort of selfless, right? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't Truly. get to be, you know, a full character, I would say, you know, but it makes me love like the writing of people like, um, George Johnson and like the poems of like um, Donna Smith, you know, seeing people write yeah. about queer people of color in the present um, who are living with HIV. Um, and I love those stories. Well, that's what this show excites me about. Sorry, just to say one last thing. What excites me is we'll finally get to see um, movies about AIDS and HIV where the black characters get to die. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, because it's not right now. They don't. They never get to die. They watch their white friends die because, like, I get the white creators also are like, "Well, I can't kill the black person. I can't kill the black." But person. what I can have them do is be like the local drag queen <laughs> mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. sing um, "I Feel Love" or you know, like um, some other like Stephanie Mills song to the white cast members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can be the the pray tell of the show and. <laughs> I also just want to give a shout out to the literal bodies on the show because sometimes uh, when you watch like uh, stuff about this period, like everybody is like still ripped because we're in 2021. Like if you watch the normal heart, people are muscular in a way that did not really exist in 1981. Yeah, mm-hmm. Matt Palmer, you ain't got no AIDS. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whereas when I watch Come the show, on. I'm like, oh, I feel I feel like I'm in 1981. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's felt. There's felt. Mm-hmm. In the right ways, <laughs> Lewis, they have your build, is what you're saying. I know. I, I feel yes. Ectomorph representation, important. (laughs) What am I? What does that make me? Endomorph? The one where you just gain weight. I think that's what an endomorph is supposed to be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm the warmth. I'm the Mm. warmth. Is that the ghost from Ghostbusters? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Slimer? Me being being Leslie Jones once again. (laughs) Uh, I love Slimer so much. Very funny. And fun in the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Yes. While While all that was going on, my 80s experience was an obsession with the Ghostbusters. And I had the Ghostbusters house where you would pour slime on the top. And 
that that's my 80s documentary oh I, I just had a portrait of Annie Potts. That was my Ghostbusters experience. I see that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a web series that you two host, Ira and Lewis, the science gaze, and you just explain to the world what's in poppers and how to play with Ghostbusters slime. <laughs> it's like a mix of Bill Nye and drunk history. <laughs> yeah. right. John Lovett, you're listening. Make it happen. He's just going to steal it and put that segment in Love It or Leave It. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, well, we're back. We'll be joined by Roxanne Gay to talk about her new masterclass. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with GLAAD, so they are by the people, for the people. Some of the prompts are... The first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. <laughs> Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover. The shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. I broke the fourth wall. <laughs> You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by... I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say, whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include, my chosen family is the best at, and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Our guest today is a writer, a thinker, a teacher, and a critic. She's a cultural commentator, and now with her new masterclass, you too will be able to glean some of her brilliance. Please welcome Roxanne Gay. Hello. 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 <laughs> so democratic of you to dole out the brilliance to everybody else. Everybody's thankful. So kind. Well, democratic <laughs> or capitalistic, one of the two. Well, I mean... <laughs> Congrats on both fronts. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> now, it was a lot of fun to be able to do it because people often ask, can I take a class with you? Which I am flattered by, but generally no. <laughs> and so this is a great way to sort of let people take something resembling a class uh, in a realistic way where you can't necessarily um, enroll at the whatever university I happen to be teaching at. Honestly, I wish that I could have taken, you know, like my grad school classes like this because I was watching the master class <laughs> yesterday and just like letting you just go. And, you know, I'm just like lying in bed watching it. And I was like, this is a perfect way to take a class. Yes, <laughs> it really is. At your own pace. Just do what you yeah. want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Also, you look great in it, too. Listen. The, the leather jacket, yes. the swoop, oh. it's all really working. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about Masterclass is that they film their classes like they're filming a movie or a television mm-hmm. show. So I had a stylist and I had clothing options and they mm. had a makeup and hair crew. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. Because some film and television, they're like, we're not really going to do much and you're going to look like shit. And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. And the but set is gorgeous too with all the papers suspended in the it air. Is. Dramatic. I feel like I'm Dramatic. in your mind. Yeah. It is. They printed out like 300 pages of my work and then like mm. made this hanging sculptural presentation. It was lovely. Okay. So an Easter egg if you like zoom in. Yeah. In yes. If you really want to like, like. I'm not buying bad feminists. I'm just zooming in the masterclass. No need. It's right there. It's just right there for you. Uh, I want to ask a bit about um, preparing for this masterclass. You know, I've, uh, we read your recent uh, interview with Monica Lewinsky mm-hmm. about um, writing trauma, which was great. And you've also taught a class about this as well you know um what goes into i'm sitting down i'm gonna be doing a master class and like i also just have questions about like how long it takes to even do this you know because i imagine you're sitting in front of the camera talking all day for yeah, days right. day- <laughs> <laughs> the audiobook that never for ends yeah just about no Uh, So the preparation process took about six weeks leading Mm -hmm. up to filming, and they flew us to Iceland, my wife and I, to um, Iceland. What? uh, Because it, yeah, (laughs) they did. Um, Because of COVID, and in Mm -hmm. Iceland, COVID is under control. Like, people don't even Mm -hmm. wear masks. It was wonderful. And so first we come up with an outline, and they actually read all of your work and so on and watch a bunch of videos of your work. And so they come up with an outline that you get to then revise and provide feedback on. And you go through that process two or three times. And then they start coming up with lessons and getting more specific, and they just work with you until it's time to shoot the class. And then we shot it in two days, which was fine and fun. It was long days, Mm -hmm. but it was still, I enjoyed the whole process. And you sit across, like during most of it, I was sitting across from a producer who you don't see. Her name is Diane Hauslin. Mm -hmm. And she would ask me questions and I would answer them. And then they like put it all together in a coherent manner. Imagine. Okay. And it really is coherent. It it kind of feels like you just sat sat down for however long it took and read Mm -hmm. it to us, but... It's nice that it could be so concise. I think something I love about your masterclass in particular is, though it's about formally writing for social change, it's also about productivity for writers. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, just in the past 10 months, have you been surprised by what you are inspired by as a writer just having to, I'll speak for myself, I've, I've uh, consumed so much mundane media over <laughs> time, you know, Instagram, et cetera. Has what you are inspired by changed over the past 10 months or so? Yes, in that I used to have to really dig deep for inspiration only because I was getting a little burnt out pre-COVID. And now almost anything inspires me because we never go anywhere. And so everything is exciting. Everything. Oh my God, we're getting a delivery. What is it? Who's there? Um, Like we actually compete for who gets to get the mail. And um, that's sad, (laughs) but that's where we are. And so I have found that 
I am probably, I guess, more open to being inspired by more things than I was before. And that is good. But am I doing anything with that inspiration? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, what I loved about listening to your masterclass was that it reminded me of what should be like the most basic tenets of being a writer sometimes, but you need to have reiterated for you. Um, that was just, you know, like researching and making sure you keep track of your research. Like, why is that not something I'm always thinking about? It should be. But um, I wanted to ask you, what do you do when you feel like your relationship with writings is changing? Like you're, you have to nurture it and you have to remember that you enjoy writing. What do you do when that seems to not be at the forefront? I try to forget about publishing. And I always try to keep in my mind a separation between writing and publishing because they are two very different things. And so when I start to lose the love for it, when I start to feel like I'm on a hamster wheel, which most writers, you're going to feel like you're on the hamster wheel a lot. So I just try to write something for myself that I haven't already sold or pitched or anything like that. And if there's no one waiting for it, there's so much less at stake and I can just get to the enjoyment of the thing. And sometimes I just step away from writing for you know, hours or I never really step away for days, but I just go and do something else, whether it's take a walk around the neighborhood or watch really terrible television, like <laughs> irredeemable television, <laughs> bling empire, mm -hmm. selling sunset, you know, something without any virtue. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be very inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Bling was very bad. Oh my god, way. it was so bad. Like bless his heart, the dumb one, the dumb model yeah. who didn't have any money. I, I just <laughs> wanted to hug him every time. I was just like, oh my god. First of all, you're so beautiful, but thank God you have that because mm, mm -mm, not all God's children are smart. I've always been, and I think you know because we've talked about it, like a Bravo person. And I've always mm -hmm. found, you know, the housewives like at least inspiring um, <laughs> and like a good way to view, you know, sort of like, like you said, how um, women are viewed by the media and, you know, mm -hmm. so how they can be stereotyped in these kinds of shows. But I truly did reach a point in quarantine where I was like, you know what? I don't need to be scraping the bottom of the Bravo barrel. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't need to watch Below Deck Sailing Yacht. <laughs> Unless I do. Bless <laughs> me. No, you know what? You actually do. I love Below Deck, but the sailing yacht one was, it was weird. It was not, I just didn't find it as enjoyable. And I'm not sure why. I think part of it was that the head stews weren't as compelling and mm -hmm. as, as messy. And so if there's not going to be any mess, what's the point? But there were also like two of the crew are in a relationship Mm. And it wasn't really fun to see the disintegration of their actual real world relationship against the <laughs> backdrop of the show. Like it's inter it's entertaining when they meet someone on the show and everyone mm -hmm. is on the same page. Like we're just doing this for for the clicks. Mm -hmm. But when it's a real relationship and then reality TV does what it does, it's just like, oh, I don't know that I <laughs> like this. So, and also that people were just kind of boring. Now, I say this as a fan of, of the shows I'm about to bring up, but we sort of treat like the Below Decks, the Bravo type shows as the most irredeemable when really I think it is still like Survivor Big Brother because, mm -hmm. because the, it's the competitive. Like on a show like Below Deck, it's just their, those people's lives, right? Like right. They're, they're not really fighting for anything. It's, it's like CBS has tricked us into believing just because it's so popular that they're 
I don't know, above board in some way, but they actually aren't, I don't think. (laughs) You know, they're not. What's interesting about those particular shows, CBS really tries to put this like veneer of class on their reality TV offerings where Mm -hmm. like there's competition and skill involved. The stakes are death. (laughs) Right. I will say, I think Survivor is a, a, and uh, The Amazing Race are... Mm -hmm. Not on the same level as Big Brother. Big Brother is just trash. It's like, let's find (laughs) the worst people we can imagine and then put them in an artificial situation from which there is no escape and Mm -hmm. just see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) And usually like two people of color for them to torment and vote out early. Yeah. I mean, every time. And then the edits that the people of color get are so unforgivable. And it just makes me... I haven't watched Big Brother in probably 10 years simply because mm-hmm. the black women in particular are never treated right on that show. Yeah. And Well, it is a reality show. <laughs> it is. It is a reality <laughs> show. At least in That's Atlanta, it. the black women are treated like people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, over at CBS, which is where black women go to die, um, mm-hmm. no, it's not good. <laughs> I also was thinking recently why there's not ever like two queer people, like two gay men or two lesbians on Big Brother. And I realized, oh, it's a live show on CBS. So if a romance breaks out, they would be forced to show it. I think that's the reason they don't Uh, have it. I think that's a big part of it. I think it's um, the Highlander mentality of there can be only one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would argue to that one point, though, Lewis, that the what I truly enjoy about like the Bravo shows is that they are competitive because you are competing sort of for a storyline and the audience's interest so you can yeah. stay. So mm. it is interesting watching the people who are Bravo stars once they've figured out how to survive and become a star of the show from season to season. It is funny when you're, you're not a fan of Bravo shows and you just hear the vernacular like, she just did that to keep her peach. And you're like, why is losing fruit so difficult? Like, what's the situation here? Like, why? <laughs> but, yeah, it's so. a very special peach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, my parents are um, not, not parent. My mom watches Bravo shows, but my dad sort of only does it because he's married. And it's interesting to talk about the shows with people who really are not as deeply connected with these shows or don't watch them at all. When I start to like, my wife doesn't do reality TV. And so when I start to explain to Debbie, like the plot and the reason why we need Mm -hmm. to watch something, she just looks at me like, where's my wife? Bring her back from whatever place you're in. And then I just have to stop and just say, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I did get her into Selling Sunset. I'm very proud of that. That's great. <laughs> um, to take a brief detour to that, too, you know, I think you had recently written something um, sharing a bit how you had met Debbie and how she had oh, been interested yeah. in your work, um, mm. trying to get you on the podcast, etc. I'm so interested, I mean, especially since the other three of us are writers, too, like what it's like as a writer to generally have people into your work and into you as a person, but how does it feel different and how do you know it's different when someone is into that but also pursuing you romantically? How do you know when it's different than Mm -hmm. someone just being like, I've read Bad Feminist like six times and it means so much to me, I have to meet Roxanne Gay. Mm -hmm. You have to see if there's a willingness for them to recognize that you are someone beyond whatever they know you for. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of times, especially I will say this for young women and I love them. They're great, but they'll come up to me at events and they'll be like, Oh my God, we're best friends. And it's very flattering. But, and I try to really honor that because as a writer, you generally, we don't know if anyone's going to read our work and it's writing can be so thankless mm-hmm. and it's so thankless for so long. Like I, I spent 20 years in obscurity before anything happened. And so I, I never take it for granted, but so often I just think you actually don't know me. You know what you read from a book I wrote 10 years ago and thank you. But like, it's not enough to really be a foundation for anything other than this five minute conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and when people like want more in the olden days, You know, I was just very hesitant because I just thought it's easier for me to stick with the people I knew before 2014 because they know the real me. They know, like, it's not that great. And so I don't have to try and be anything that they might be expecting me to be because they know the real me. Um, With Debbie, she was just so persistent and she never, like, let up and... It was like really attractive. (laughs) 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 And for me, like you have to be really persistent because I'll never figure it out. And then you have to like spell it out for me in very short words. (laughs) And so when she was so patient and then we had a really great first date um, and I could just tell, okay, she's not just here because she thinks that I am summarized by hunger, which is the book that she particularly loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I just knew. And there, it, it just, she like was looking at me as me and that was really great. And it ended up being the right choice. Mm. Um, speaking of people meeting someone based on their writing, you, you have mastered the art of directness. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I feel like I never have questions about what you have written. Like the directness is the point. You know what I mean? Like I don't like you said it. There it is. Yeah. And I was wondering because directness can seem just so without craft, like you don't have to do it. It just comes out of nowhere, even though it's writing. So it is craft. Mm -hmm. Is that something you had to perfect over a long period of time? Or did being a good writer come first and then the directness or was it the uh, opposite? I would say being a good writer came first. I've been working at writing for a very long time. And I was certainly a very mediocre writer for a long time. And some of my critics say I still am. And so it took a concerted effort in my mid-30s when I just, the older I got, the the less interested I am in wasting time. And I just realized, let me just be direct. There's no need to dance around this. I can write well and write strategically and write beautifully and still just get to the point. You know, ambiguity is overrated. I don't need to be ambiguous about the things I care about, especially when I'm writing about race and gender, sexuality, sexual violence. Like there's just no room there. I can be ambiguous about other things, but not that. And so I just started to try directness and I had a day job. So I just thought whatever happens, happens. I don't, you know, I'm not living on this $50 from salon. I'm just (laughs) doing what I do and I, I, my bills are still going to be paid. And I think that gave me the freedom to be direct and to say what I wanted to say because I wasn't going to pay my rent based on how well the work was received. Mm -hmm. Your masterclass touches a lot on how you write about trauma and how you warn writers to, you know, 
make sure they're in an emotionally distant place from their trauma before they start writing about it so they're okay. Mm -hmm. But I've also been interested in how have you felt, like let's say after the Hunger Press Tour when you had to talk about it all the time every day, did that ever re-traumatize you or do you feel like you developed an apathy about your trauma and the traumatic experiences? I think I developed something of an apathy simply because I was talking about it so much and in, in, in different countries even. And each country would have a different type of bullshit. And so <laughs> I just had to become a little apathetic just to get through it. You know, book promotion is one of the key ways that you sell books. And so you really don't have a choice if you want to publish another book than to just lean into it and do what you need to do. So it was challenging, especially because I don't mind talking about my books. I wrote them. I'm happy to talk about them. But with hunger, people really showed their asses. I was not only having to deal with talking about the book over and over again. I was having to deal with true bullshit from people who should know better. I also just had to disassociate a little bit so that I didn't completely pop off at people who I probably should not pop off at. But I did pop off. I was going to say, it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, it's so much easier said than done. Like There are just things like where it's like, oh, man, I'm going to regret this, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting, Mickey, too, because because I also know during the interview with Monica Lewinsky too, which she talked about how um, I think she walked out of the Terry Gross interview, mm-hmm. uh, and you talked about how you know Terry Gross just made you so uncomfortable, and you weren't expecting that. Mm-hmm. I guess that's another thing about knowing a writer, right? You know, I feel like people would never expect that from the directness you seem to have on social media for Mm -hmm. instance and then um interacting with someone like terry on the podcast um how do you find that um social media can be sort of like freeing in a different um sort of way for you to write and communicate your ideas um than when you're actually writing um and this is so interesting to me now you know being banned from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why do they keep banning you? It's not right. <laughs> Free Ira. Um, That's going on a book jacket now, just to be aware. It has yeah. to. Yeah. It okay. absolutely has to. You I may have said something emotional. Travesty. Just so yeah. you know. <sighs> Twitter's a mess. The person I am on social media is me. In real life, I'm very quiet and I'm very shy. And I'm fine with that. I'm 46. This is who I am. It's not changing. But on social media, because I, in many ways, grew up on social media as an adult, I'm very comfortable. And I will Mm -hmm. say anything to anyone at any time. I just don't care. Mm -hmm. And that's freeing to just... And again, I always had a day job, so it just didn't matter. Like, I don't care what you think of me. I clock in at 8 and I clock out at 5. Good night. And Well, not really those (laughs) hours, but... I just had my own thing going on that had nothing to do with Twitter and writing or anything like that. And that was really the best gift I gave to myself. That was the right choice for me because I don't like to be stressed out about money. (laughs) On Twitter, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the medium that demands concision. And I think when you really want to get your point across, you can. And when you really want to tell someone about themselves, you can. And there are fewer barriers than in real life. I can't tell you the number of people who talk all kinds of shit to me on Twitter and then at a book signing wait in line and are like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm so-and-so-and-so on Twitter. And I'm like, why are you? (laughs) (laughs) What 
okay, Jack 3724. Like, there's none of that sort of ballsiness or courage to be an asshole. And so, you know, I think like most people, it's just easier to say exactly what I want to say to the people I want to say it to. Now, I would say anything I say on Twitter to someone's face, and I have, mm-hmm. but it does not come easily face to face. It comes easily for me if I can type it. And mm-hmm. so Twitter has done that <laughs> for better and worse. But, you know, I'm trying to chill out <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, I just want to say uh, before we uh, wrap up, I also randomly recently picked up this book on best actress winners and you wrote the foreword. And I just <laughs> want to say, <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to uh, uh, thank you for that and just was wondering, are you an obsessive film historian person? Are you somebody who's constantly watching old stuff and uh, what actors do you root for, etc.? I don't know that I watch old stuff, but I I love movies. And pre-COVID, I would see almost everything in theaters. I love Mm -hmm. going to the theater, especially here in LA. There are some really great movie theaters. The iPick in Westwood, I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. flawless. You just go in. Yes, you just sit, you have your little seat, they bring you little snacks. It's super cute. And... So uh, when they asked me to do Best Actress, I have a hard time saying no. And that's why you'll see me write forwards for a lot of things. You'd be like, wow, would not have seen that coming. And it's like, yes, because <laughs> I was too, yeah, I was too cowardly to say no. And um, with Best Actress, I actually just love movies. And uh, I did not write the introduction that they wanted. <laughs> Because they wanted just something like celebrating best actresses. And I was like, one woman has won, one black woman has won best actress. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I, you knew who I was when you asked me to write this. So I don't know why you would think I would do anything but who I am. <laughs> so I do, I'm now starting to watch a lot of older movies. I had not historically watched older movies. Uh, but Debbie's into older movies. And so I've been doing that. And I just like following sort of actors and seeing what they might become. Uh, I recently saw um, Promising Young Woman. Mm. And it's interesting Mm. to see like where Carrie Mulligan seems to be going Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. her career. Uh, And so it's, yeah, I I do like to follow what actors are doing. Plus, even though they never make it to the screen, I write movies. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, I keep, I I like to stay abreast of what actors are doing and who's doing Mm -hmm. interesting work if and when we ever get to cast something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love Carrie. Do not follow her to the dig, though. Oh, I was oh, just really? going to ask you if you saw that yet. I haven't seen I it. I would see, I keep, yeah. like, Netflix keeps trying to serve that shit down my throat, and <laughs> it does not look appealing to me at all. Even the description, to me, right? was, was a nap. <laughs> I was just like, why would you make this movie and then think people would want to, like, who is this for? But I know who it's for. It's for, like, a bunch of gray-haired people somewhere right? Like, who you just want to watch something sweet and gentle. But no, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here, Roxanne. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. We appreciate you. (laughs) Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No?
Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. After bombshell reporting from the LA Times revealing laughably predictable ethical issues surrounding the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, including having zero Negroes among them and (laughs) accepting (laughs) lavish vacations framed as set visits uh, and paying huge sums to its members despite being a tax-exempt nonprofit, it seems like a good time to do a deep dive into this year's nominees and the entirety of what the Golden Globes are. They sound like a church. <laughs> <laughs> Nonprofit scammers, tax exempt. Girl, I love a Come kickback. On. Yeah, right. Classic uh, Catholic tactics. I do think the number one funniest thing about the HFPA, first of all, is that, I mean, they're literally members of the press like their whole thing is to be outward facing like the the, mm-hmm. you know if we can agree what the press does it's getting the word out mm-hmm. and yet who are they like they're supposed to be nothing but a byline basically and yet they are shrouded in darkness still so that's your first clue that something is amiss mm-hmm. i just want to know what ryan what did ryan murphy give them for james corden to be up for the prom what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it is 85 people living in southern california who write or at least have written for non-us publications and it's just sort of a random assortment of members who don't really seem to have any real journalistic or like critical careers you know uh, because because like you said, Lewis, it's like we don't we don't know who these damn people are. Reveal yourselves. Did you write for Daily Mail? Do you write for Daily Mail or another <laughs> publication? I need to know where you journal. So it's not like you're reading their work and knowing like mm-hmm. um what these critics even critically think of anything. You know, it's right. not like the Critics Choice Awards. And you know, there was the revelation from the LA Times that there were zero black journalists. Um, and they allow their members to behave in ways that are unethical like um the emily in paris um set visit 
where they just stay in like nice hotels in Paris. And I'm like, this, of, of course, that show mm-hmm. got a nomination. Right. Well, I think in general, people are a little bit clueless about how much money just goes to promotion on a movie or a TV show in general. For example, mm-hmm. years ago, I wrote for some website that no longer exists, barely existed to begin with. And still, I could have gone to Dubai to interview the cast of The Fast and the Furious. Like, Dubai, <laughs> like, like for, for an interview that you watch in a video, like, do I need to be in Dubai for that? No. But they would still throw money at me, like, writing for nothing.buzz, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got an offer once to, like, be flown to Mexico to, like, interview the set of some movie. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Right. I, oh, yeah. I, I went to Mexico for uh, a Spectre, and I went to London for Steve Jobs. Mm. Um, wow, isn't that bizarre? Wow, I miss I miss the pre pandemic journalism world. I might have been invited into. <laughs> I want these kickbacks. I got sent to Iceland, um, like Roxanne Gay discussed. She was sent to Iceland um, <laughs> for um, masterclass. Like I got sent to Iceland by um, like Iceland glacier water once right what? frightening no yeah. like are you are you in some sort of icelandic mob now yeah also yeah. that's where the foreign press is keeping all their black people they're just yeah. like go to in iceland. iceland be in, in reykjavik you'll yeah. be okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say though okay th- this article paints a necessary and disgusting portrait of this organization or whatever i still think though that the tv side feels way more corrupt somehow than the movie side even though Mm -hmm. whatever the sia movie got nominated and the i care a lot got nominated Mm -hmm. etc i still feel like the tv nominations in general are way more bizarre and again you would never ever remember that a tv actor won a golden globe like i look back and i'm like did john ham win or did you know it's just it's not Mm -hmm. even coming to mind exactly we've all placed them in so little esteem over the years right there is sort of this notion that we've always assumed or known that the golden globes are corrupt right and it's always it's an award show and that's just what the hfpa does who cares you know and they always make jokes about buying off the hfpa too you know but (laughs) At a certain point, you realize that, like, the Globes are always part of the conversation of what will be nominated for the Oscars, right? Or it's it's always like it's a it's a highly rated award show, so it's like movies and actors and things that people are talking about, right? So if you have a certain body that continues to just nominate the same people who you know like lavish them with gifts and other bribes and you know they're mostly white people you know what what does that say about what's being introduced into the conversation you know right i think one of the grossest things they did this year was um making minari be a foreign film <laughs> you know uh just because they're speaking korean in it right and at the oscars it's specifically foreign language film which i mean sort of changes the discussion a little bit but mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about Minari. Good movie. A li- the ending is too quaint for me. I wish they had a different ending. Love the grass. Very pretty. <laughs> yeah, right. Love the grass. The, the house is on wheels. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's very like Norman Rockwell and yeah. Mm-hmm. That Nomad Land had me thinking about nature a lot, but the actual opening of Minari, uh, and because it's an A24 movie, you could be forgiven if you thought that it was going to be a horror movie. Totally. That's fair. Oh yeah. my god. Yes. It, it is it is very much like a 
South Korean version of The Witch set in the 80s. Yes. Mm-hmm. If, if, Parasite, if Parasite and Hereditary came together and had a child. Mm-hmm. But I will also thank Minari for introducing another young Asian actor into our lexicon be, after, you know, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar mm. because now we have two. Now we have two cute, hilarious little Asian boys who are very good at acting. Yeah. Where's their spy kids? Right. Exactly. They're, um, exactly. They're surf ninjas. They'll say the word and that'll be rebooted in like 11 <laughs> seconds. I know. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. I re- you, you'll have to write it. Mm. And by the way, there's already like 11 of them, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is one of them Shark Boy? Oh, Not right. Taylor Lautner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, some of this, to my ears, works in the Globe's favor because now I'm like, oh, I get to watch Tina Fey and Amy Poehler make fun of this now. And mm-hmm. I unfortunately am still really excited for that because how often do we get to see Tina Fey cracking jokes anymore? You know, that feels like this lost era of TV to me almost. She, she hosted mm-hmm. a, a tribute to Broadway not long ago during the pandemic, but that wasn't really her, you know, riffing about whoever George Clooney is uh, hobnobbing <laughs> with. Here's a thing about the Globes that I want to ask. Um, were all the jokes that we used to hear on like award shows like that, did you always get them? Because there's the idea that, like, it, I've rewatched, like, the Tina and Amy, uh, one, the first ones, right? And it's like, so many of the jokes hit more after you're, like, working in and you're, um, you have access Hollywood to the level of or, corruption. Like, you're, or you've mm. been, like, you know, like, even working as, like, a journalist or, you know, like, a cultural critic. And, like, you're reading more of, like, the trades and, like, just aware of what happens in the city, right? Because a lot of the jokes, mm-hmm. you know, like... That Catherine Bigelow one, you know, about, like, being married <laughs> to James Cameron. You know, like, d- the general public, like, you don't know James Cameron's an asshole. Yeah. Right, yeah. You don't know, maybe the Catherine Bigelow is, you know, the Hurt Locker woman, and that yeah. we still have questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there might be just an association with the fact that someone, a, a director of epic movies, would necessarily be a narcissist or mm-hmm. an asshole or something, and they're sort of banking on that perception. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how much about James Cameron in particular had gotten out by that point. Like, yeah. I, even as I sit here, I'm not thinking of, like, specific instances of him throwing chairs or whatever. I know nothing like that. But. I feel like yeah. the Globes are always fun because, you know, it's part of, you know, like, the in crowd, like, making jokes about one another, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the appeal of it, too. Like, you're, you're peering in on a private party. Yeah, and also, I actually, you know, I've learned some sense since, but I always enjoyed watching Ricky Gervais just maintain his position as the, like, crotchety old hateful comedian that was always enjoyable for me i would have liked it more if he didn't seem above the occasion for me a lot of the time i felt the jokes even though even if they were fun like his whole thing was i'm not like the other celebrities it's like you could not be more of a conventional celebrity like you're obsessed with us finding you cool Uh, yeah, you know, they usually have, like, a television actor or someone, too. You know, like, making fun of, like, A-list movie actors. So that's always a benefit, too. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That's a a fun dynamic, too. Like, Sandra Oh reaching over to whomever. Julia Mm -hmm. Roberts. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it is interesting that, like, when you have someone like a Tina or Amy, right? Because I feel like SNL is such an equalizer. Or it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like a random person in TV or film like hosting it, right? Like if you're in part of the SNL cast, it's sort of like you've met a lot of these celebrities when they've hosted. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, the nature of the show is you're adjacent to A-listers anyway, and A-listers don't think you're weird. Yes. You know? <laughs> Some, <laughs> something Lewis can't say, right? <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> That's exactly Did you get yeah. to meet a lot of the guests on the show, or were you, were you like, you know, somewhere in a, in a corner just 
here, Jimmy, hear my jokes. No, actually. Um, I've only ever talked to one guest on the show because I knew him personally. That was it. Mm, mm. So they don't, like, the writers don't have full access no, 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 to no. the people. Okay. It would be so weird if we did, too. It would be I super think, like, weird. <laughs> the way we're dressed, it's just yeah. not right. Yeah. Miss Blanchett. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my friend was a PA on Kimmel at one point, and Kate Blanchett did wink at him. What the fuck? Oh, wow. Like, you get to die with that memory? I'm so mad. Yeah. I absolutely love her. I, I mean, I think I've told the story before about when I um, profiled um, Taika Waititi um, for GQ and, like, was interviewing mm. the Thor Ragnarok cast. And, like, you truly haven't lived until your phone rings in your studio apartment in um, Virgil Village. And it's, hello, Ira, it's Kate here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Spit take. You can't, you can't see me, but I'm yeah. doing a spit take. And then being on the phone with Chris Hemsworth. Child. And he has a very sexy voice, too. Not truly. Person. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Hi. Hey, Ira. It's me, Chris. My crocodile Dundees <laughs> were wet. Oh, good Lord. Uh-uh. <laughs> End the segment. End the segment. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. What are we saying Keep It to this week? Uh, mine's quick and dirty and related to a show we've actually talked about, not ad nauseum, but quite a bit. Johnny Come Lately is on Twitter, and I am talking mainly about gay men who are, I'll say about five years younger than I am, <laughs> who yell things like all the awards at Katherine Hahn on Oh my God. This was going to be my Keep It. No! <laughs> that, I, has I that ever happened before? Yeah, it, I love it, this. People talking about wow. the Renaissance because they've just yeah. discovered Catherine Hahn. It's like, okay, we love the woman. Yes, she's great. She's the other Anna Gasteyer, but not like Anna Gasteyer at all. Put that together. Um, <laughs> but on this show, like, if you haven't seen the new WandaVision episode yet, I, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but she becomes a much more significant character in a way. And she's been the nosy neighbor in, in the first couple episodes in the vignette-based TV parodies they're doing, which, if you know the format of the show, turns out to mean something totally different later on. But guys, what happens to her on the show is not an acting triumph. Literally, it is a plot twist. That is that. (laughs) She does not deserve Emmys specifically for that. And I just want to say in general, can we avoid just anybody on Twitter or disregard the opinion of people on Twitter who use the phrase, all the awards? What the fuck does that mean? First of all, there's not that many. So stop pretending they deserve all of them. Nobel Peace Prize to... Catherine Hahn. Okay. Yeah, the Pritzker I'm Prize. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Spin Garn. Yeah. Eminem NASCAR Award. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we should find a way, and by we, I mean not me, because I'm not the person who's saying these sort of things. So you have to sort out who we is in this scenario. We need to find a way to key into the language of hard standing and get to a correct level of appreciation mm-hmm. for someone like Katherine Hahn. It jumps from zero to 1,000 immediately, and there could be something interesting to be said about the kinds of roles Katherine Hahn should get in the future based on this mm-hmm. show, for example. And I feel like the conversation is halted as squee, <laughs> to use an old internet term. <laughs> you're, ex- you're expecting other people to have the same level of tact as you, and it shocks me every time. <laughs> it shocks me every time. I believe it's optimistic. That's what I believe it is, and I'm going to stick with it. Though you're right, I'm I'm doomed. Lewis wants everyone to possess his austere restraint. 
You are yeah. you are Mrs. Danvers. That's right. <laughs> In my head to toe black frock, nodding at Catherine Hahn's talent, and then moving away to the drawing room. I just wish the stands were funnier. You know, like like if they stand mm-hmm. Catherine Hahn like the Barb stand Nikki, that'd be funny. You know, mm-hmm. go 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 and dox um, someone in the name of Catherine Hahn. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Really show your devotion. Yeah, I, I want some content that has uh, show some mastery of what she's done in the past, even if it's just a couple of roles. Have you seen that weird movie, The D Train, with Jack Black? She was great in that. Bring up something else. It's, you know, it's like mm-hmm. with Laura Dern last year. Do you know anything about her for real? Anyway, still one of my favorite moments of when I used to be on Twitter. When I tweeted uh, after she won uh, the award, I said, uh, this Laura Darden seems great. Um, what's she been in? Oh, and people are responding like, you have to see Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> people who followed uh, me, too. Like, come on. Really disappointing. I stand yeah. enlightened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I need to come up with a new keep it while Aida's doing this. Although my keep it was technically to the fact that um, I try to avoid the spoilers for WandaVision since it drops on Friday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, like, you, you will watch Drag Race. And, like, my, um, Royce and I don't get to watch it until, like, either right before Drag Race or Saturday morning just because we're working during the day on Friday. But specifically when she becomes the more significant character this week, Social media, like Instagram is like flooded with like the exact scene that is the twist. And I'm like, I get it. I know that you're watching this television show. You don't have to drop the entire scene wholesale into your story on Saturday just to let people know that you've seen it. Right, right. No, the people that are most Because like, now you're ruining it. The people who are most defensive about being able to post immediately after an episode comes out of anything always have the least to say. The people who do it on uh, about Drag Race, it'll literally be like, so-and-so won. I'm like, that's not a discussion. You're just saying what happened. You just got to be the first person to do it. Yeah. Like, I will never forget that half of Casey Musgraves at her concert the night right. that Trinity and Monet won. I'm at her concert. Drag Race is DVRing, and she brings out the queens who just won Drag Race. I'm like, bitch, oh, my the show God. is airing. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the concert. Yeah. That's we can't wild. see it. Yeah. Aida, what's your keep it? Wow, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so frazzled that Casey did that to you, and I'm gonna go to her home, her cottage, wherever that that's at, <laughs> and smash her acoustic guitar for you. Um, okay, my my keep it's a little bit serious, but it's also just rappers doing stupid shit as per mm. usual. Azealia um, for in, getting Azealia. engaged to a Jewish man and calling herself the juicy diva. <laughs> no, if anything, that's behavior I support. So. Um, the other day, I was really I was sitting in my room thinking about who is going to be the first idiot to make an insensitive Kobe lyric, and I knew it had to come because it's been about mm, a year mm-hmm, since Kobe's mm. passed. And you know, rappers love to get their little bars off; they need to be the first one to do it. Mm-hmm. And then Meek Mill does a song with Lil Baby. Of course, it's Meek Mill. Of course, it's Meek Mill. I don't know what what rock that man is living under. I don't know what society he's living in. I know they don't have leg machines there. But that's, <laughs> I'm going to move on. Um, he releases a song recently. With the lyrics, this bitch I'm fucking always tell me that she loved me, but she ain't ever showed me. Yeah, and if I ever lack, I'm going out with my chopper. It be another Kobe. Hmm. Nigga, what does that mean, first of all? What does it mean? I'm really struggling to put the pieces together. Two, it has been a little bit over a year since Kobe has passed. His family is still mourning him, and you, wasn't, you didn't even have like the wherewithal to be clever. 
Like, that's right. so disrespectful. And I immediately, when people started talking about it, he came to social media and was like, you guys are spinning a narrative. He didn't say that. That's a lot of words. He, you guys are. <laughs> you, what is this, zombie land? And <laughs> everyone was so, so irritated with him. And the, the, the best part of the story is Vanessa Bryant, you know, Kobe, the mother to Gianna and Kobe's widow, um, and all, just overall wonderful woman, said, I am not familiar with any of your music, but I believe you can do better than this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just... Sadly, you know what? I was going to say sadly he can't, but you know what? He can't. Going bad was it. <laughs> Ira, this is not the time. Okay. <laughs> Give me, let us have a moment. This man is out here re-traumatizing people. Yeah. Re-traumatizing this family that is still grieving the loss of their daughter and husband and father and just it's it it blows my mind. It doesn't even make sense too. Because like, oh, you're disrespecting, so I'm gonna go out like Kobe on the chopper. What? So you mean you're gonna get on a helicopter and then the pilot will um fly unsafely in weather conditions? Like like what? What what is the what is the leap here? Seven people up. died. Yeah. <laughs> Seven people died for you to get a really cold sixteen. See like, that's cool. Insane. You know what? Did he really use the phrase uh, "zombie land"? Yeah, he really said it's like zombie land. Okay, here's <laughs> here's the thing though. That is Abigail Breslin's best credit. You need to let her have that. Okay, okay. so stop dr- <laughs> stop throwing zombie land under the bus too. You know what? If you're gonna like once again be like the Barb's, if you're gonna make fun of a dead person, you know, look no better than Nicki Minaj's like MJ's doctor. They killing me. Propofol. <laughs> I know they hope I fall. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, that's a bar. Yeah. That's a that's bar. A bar. She, waited, she waited the respectable seven to eight years until we yes. got healed from it. And we were ready for the humor. But well, I'm not ready for no Kobe jokes. And she did it on a Beyonce track. So you know that was cleared with Joe mm-hmm. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Ghost wrote. All right. That's our show this week. <laughs> Ira, did you do a keep it? That's mine. My keep it is to the WandaVision stand. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. Spoil the episode later. <laughs> It's spoiled Drag Race later. And actually, to the UK queens of Drag Race who dropped their looks like Thursday morning before like Americans or even people in the UK can like get to like watch it on the World of Wonder app, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you wow, stop you ma- it. He is mad. <laughs> but I think we should actually team up on Keep It's more often. I feel like yeah. they add something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah team Keep It's. Hmm. We're Team Rocket. Okay. Oh, right. Now, see, I'm not yeah. Pokemon in any way. If I'm on a dating app and someone is into Pokemon in some way, I'm like, this can't work out between us. First of all, how fucking often do you get on a dating app and someone's like main, main thing they present about themselves is loving Pokemon? Get Please this more than you think. <laughs> what are the gays up to? If you were born in the 1989 zone, it's probably a part of your identity. And like, you're talking about like grass Pokemon or whatever the, the groups are. Guys, they're just like mediocre cartoons. I don't know what to tell you. You know those bottoms on Grindr love to catch it all. Right. Oh. Yeah. And this. I have a feeling Mewtwo <laughs> is gay representation. Ah, uh, that's that's T. <laughs> that's T. He he did he did murder Rita Ora in um Detective Pikachu. That is gay history. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beyonce's revenge. You too was Beyonce's revenge. Uh, all right. That's our episode. Thank you to Roxanne Gay for joining this circus. Um, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. 
Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. I was hours into a hunt for new digs at the local shopping mall and losing steam fast when fate intervened. Drumsticks, get your drumsticks. Nutty, sweet drumstick. What luck. One drumstick, please. Here you go. This is hot. Made of chicken. I want an ice-cold, creamy, crunchy drumstick Sunday cone. You and me both, buddy. But that's the vendor next door. Drumsticks. But that line is three miles long. Oh, well. Another day, another drumstick.